Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the pride of Moab as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 16, verse 5. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. We're moving down towards these final sequence of events. We are reading constantly of Russia's threat to move into the Middle East, and that will be the event that will more or less trigger these final sequence of events. For as Russia moves in, God will soundly defeat Russia. It will give rise to the ten nations of Europe, out of which will arise this man of sin who will make a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years. But in the midst of the seven-year period, he'll break the covenant by coming into the temple, declaring that he is God, demanding that he is worshipped as God, stopping the daily sacrifices and prayers. And 1,290 days later, Jesus coming again with the church to establish God's kingdom upon the earth. So at this point, the Jews are to flee to the wilderness. God is telling Moab, open up your arms, receive them, cover them, keep them safe from the extortioner and from the spoiler and all, and hide them, don't betray them until this time of indignation is overpassed, time of great tribulation. So... And, and of course, until the king comes to sit upon the throne of David and to establish it in righteousness. Now he turns to Moab at the immediate condition. Moab has been filled with pride. She is very proud, filled with haughtiness and his pride and his wrath. Now notice pride, very proud, haughtiness. Pride. These words in the Hebrew are all a little different, but they come from the same base or root word. It is like using the word boast, boastfulness, boasting, and the boaster and so forth. It's the same root word in the Hebrew as it speaks of the great pride of Moab. Therefore shall Moab howl for Moab. Everyone shall howl for the foundations of of Kirharetsheth shall mourn, surely they are stricken. And so it tells about how that uh, this tremendous, uh, the vineyards for which Moab was famous were going to be trampled under the soldiers that were to come. They, they would no longer be trampling, uh, the people would no longer be trampling the, the grapes uh, in the wine presses. Now, there was a cry that the people used to, you know, sort of as they would stomp the grapes in the wine presses, they would cry, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, with every, you know, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, as they were stepping down the grapes, you know, and, and crushing them. And, he, and, and so the prophet is saying this cry, hey, dad, will no longer be heard in the wine presses, but it will be heard by the marching of the soldiers that are trampling down the vineyards. They'll be coming, marching to the hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. And it will be a, not a sign of, re, not a shout of rejoicing, but a sound of the conquering armies of the Assyrians who shall destroy the, the marvelous vineyards of Moab. 
And in verses 13 and 14, he declares that this judgment against Moab will actually come within a three-year span of time. And within three years, Assyria conquered over Moab. And as the result, Moab will become, though she was very proud and all, shall become very small and feeble. Now he turns his prophecy against Damascus, which of course was the capital of Syria. Now, Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel had confederated together to stand against Assyria. As Assyria became a very definite threat, Syria knew that she could not stand against Assyria alone, so she sought to confederate with Ephraim and Manasseh, the major tribes of the northern kingdom. And they were hoping by a confederation to stop the Assyrian invasion. And so he prophesies first against Damascus, but then he begins to weave in also Ephraim and Manasseh, declaring that even through their confederation, they will not be able to withstand the Assyrian invasion that they were going to, all of them, fall uh, at, at the hands of the Assyrians. So the burden of Damascus, behold, it is taken away from being a city. It is going to be a ruinous heap. The Assyrians are going to just uh, smash down Damascus. The cities of uh, Aror are forsaken. And uh, in these places where the cities once existed, uh, they will now be herding their, their flocks of sheep. And it'll be so desolate from people that the sheep won't even be bothered by people. The sheep will be grazing in, which, in what was once the cities of uh, Syria. The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim, coming down now to the northern kingdom of Israel, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria, they shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, saith the Lord of hosts. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. And it shall be as when the harvestman gathers the corn and reaps the ears in his arm. And it shall be as he that gathers the ears in the valleys of uh, Riphaim, Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it, and the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries at the top. In other words, God is uh, declaring that the, the inhabitants are going to be destroyed. It will be like uh, the gleaning of, of an olive tree. Uh, there will just be a few berries in the top. There will be just a few grapes left on the vine. But it's like the, the Assyrians have come through and harvested and wiped out the majority of people, and just a few people remain. The Assyrians were extremely cruel people. According to the uh, record of history, there were many cities which, when were surrounded by the Assyrian army, and it was obvious that there was no chance of escape, much like Masada, the entire populace of the city would commit suicide. Rather than to be captured by the Assyrians, because they treated their captives so cruelly. They would pull out their tongues. Uh, they would gouge out their eyes. They would uh, commit all kinds of atrocities 
against the captives. And so people were extremely fearful of Assyria and would oftentimes, entire cities, uh, you'd have a mass uh, suicide rather than being taken captive by these Assyrians. That is why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh to declare uh, the judgment of God because he was afraid that the Ninevites might repent and God wouldn't wipe them out. And so he had no intention of going. When God said, go to Nineveh and warn them, my judgment's coming, Jonah took off the other way because he wanted God to wipe Nineveh out. And he was afraid if he went and preached, they might repent and God would, he knew God was gracious and merciful and God might relent and not wipe them out. So that's why Jonah took off the other day. He was a true patriot. He wanted Assyria, the Ninevites, to be wiped out. In fact, you remember that Jonah was sitting out there pouting after the whole thing, God said, what's the matter? You have any right to be upset? You bet your life I have a right to be upset. This is exactly what I thought was going to happen. I knew you were merciful and gracious. I knew that they might repent and that you would forgive them. Now you haven't wiped them out. Boy, he was mad. And it's interesting what God said. The reason why I didn't wipe them out is because there are 120,000 little children in that city that are so small that they don't even know their right hand from their left hand. God's mercy upon the children, and for the children's sake, spared the city. But we'll get to the story of Jonah later, but that's, uh, it gives you, here, you know, the whole thing is fitting together. Assyria is getting ready to move against Moab, getting ready to move against Syria and against the northern kingdom of Israel, and they are all going to fall. The northern kingdom of Israel is going to be left just a few people, just like a few berries in the top of the olive tree, just a few grapes in, in a uh, vineyard that has already been harvested, just the gleanings. At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. Those that remain will be turning to God. He will not look to the altars that they have created, the worship of Bel and the groves and so forth that they have made, uh, the false worship for which God's judgment came against them. In that day shall his strong cities be as a forsaken bough, and the uppermost branch which they left because the children of Israel, there shall be desolation. Because you have forgotten the God of your salvation, you've not been mindful of the rock of your strength, Therefore, you shall plant the pleasant plants and shall set them with strange slips. In the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow, and in the morning, but thou shalt make thy seed to flourish, but the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and desperate sorrow. So because they had forgotten God, they had turned away from him and were worshiping these other gods, the reason why God has allowed this judgment using Assyria as his tool of judgment to destroy Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital of Samaria. But yet, though Assyria is used as a tool of God's judgment, God turns his word against Assyria. Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the sea. In other words, the noise of their armies coming is just like a roar of the sea. 
and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like the rolling thing before the whirlwind. And behold, at eventide trouble, and before the morning he is not. God will wipe them out. In the evening they'll be there, but in the morning they'll not be there. Now, here is a hint at the destruction of the Assyrians. The Assyrians did come. They did conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. They did conquer Moab. They did even go down and conquer Ashdod and on down into Egypt and Ethiopia. But they did not conquer Judah. Now, here in Judah, as the Assyrians were coming and all, and Hezekiah was a king, and Isaiah was his counselor, he was saying, hey, don't worry about it. They're not going to conquer us. Now, don't be afraid. God is going to stand for us. Now, don't worry about it. You're not going to have to fight this battle. This is the Lord's battle. He's going to stand up and fight for us and all. And Isaiah was telling him, hey, you don't have to worry about this. God's going to take care of things. But of course... Hezekiah was busy building the tunnel from the spring of Gihon over the pool of Siloam to bring the water into the city so that they would have water in the city when the Assyrians invaded and, and cut the city off and all. But yet, all the while, Isaiah was encouraging the king to trust in the Lord that God would deliver. And the Assyrians brought their invading army against Jerusalem. And they were making all of their threats. The Rabaksha said to the men, where is the God of the Sumerians? Where is the God of the Syrians? Where are the God of the Egyptians? You know, we wiped them all out. Don't let Hezekiah lead you into a false trust of your God saying, our God will deliver what God is able to deliver from the hand of the Assyrians and all. And, and blaspheming God. And Isaiah said, just watch this now. God's going to take care of him. Don't worry about it, Hezekiah. Hezekiah took the letter and he spread it out before the Lord and he wept. He said, God, look what they're saying. Look what they're doing, you know. And an angel of the Lord went through the camp of the Assyrians and in one night he wiped out 185,000 of their frontline troops. When the Israelis awoke in the morning and looked over the wall to see their enemy, they were nothing but corpses on the ground. In a night, in the morning, they'll not be there. And, of course, the Lord, we'll get out into it a little bit further, where actually there are so many corpses that the birds and the beasts feed on them for a long time. You can imagine what a feast that would be for vultures. 185,000 uh, carcasses to feed on. In the evening time, trouble, and before the morning, it's gone. They are not. This is the portion of them that spoil us and the lot of those that rob us. This is God's judgment against Assyria. Now in chapter 18, there are those that see the United States in chapter 18, but it is rather far-fetched, and I am sorry that my mind can't stretch that far. I cannot see the United States in chapter 18. Woe to the land shadowing with wings. And they point out that on the top of the American flag, there's an eagle with wings, so shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. And, of course, we are beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. 
that send ambassadors by the sea in vessels. And of course, the only way our ambassadors could travel to the other lands prior to the aircraft and so forth were by boats. But it does say vessels of bulrushes. <laughs> and uh, I don't know of any ambassador that ever went out in a reed boat made of bulrushes and pitched with tar. Um, now, as I say, people can see, and, and, and I can't, but people do see the United States in this. What it is basically dealing with is Ethiopia itself, which was making, which had sent ambassadors to Jerusalem, to the king, to make a confederacy with them against Assyria. In other words, Assyria was conquering. And these Ethiopian ambassadors, big, tall, dark-skinned, handsome men, were there trying to get Judah to join with them in a confederacy to withstand this invasion from Assyria. And Isaiah was counseling against the confederacy not to make a covenant with them for God was going to watch over them and take care of them and don't get involved in a, in a treaty uh, mutual defense pact with these Ethiopians. So woe to the land. God is pronouncing the woe that is going to come upon Ethiopia that sends the ambassadors by the sea. They came in these boats down the Nile River from Ethiopia and the boats of bulrushes were light so that when they get to the rapids and all, they could carry them and then put them in. And they came from Ethiopia in these boats of bulrushes to Israel or to Judah, the southern kingdom, and sought then to make this covenant, saying, Go ye swift messengers to a nation that is scattered and peeled, to a people that is awesome from their beginning hitherto, a nation that is meted out and trotted down, whose land the rivers have cut through. All ye inhabitants of the world and the dwellers upon the earth, see ye when he lifts up a sign upon the mountains and when he blows a trumpet, hear ye. For so the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest and I will consider in my dwelling place like a clear heat upon the herbs and like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he shall both cut off the sprigs and the pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. So Isaiah is saying we don't need to make a covenant with these people. God is going to take care of them. He's going to cut them down before they're able to really fully develop. And so here is the prediction of a serious destruction by God. They shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountains and the beasts of the earth. And the fowls of, shall summer upon them, and all of the beasts of the earth shall winter upon them. In other words, the, the vultures will eat the carcasses during the summertime, but there are so many, by the time winter has come, even the animals, the coyotes and all, will be eating the bones of them even through the wintertime. 
In that time shall the present be brought to the Lord of hosts of a people scattered and peeled and from the people awesome from their beginning hitherto. A nation meted out and trodden underfoot whose land the rivers have cut through to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount Zion. So the prediction of a serious destruction by the hand of God and no need to join hands with the Ethiopians in a mutual defense pact because God is our defense and God will take care of us. Now he turns to Egypt. The burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and in the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. So God is speaking here of a civil war. And they shall fight every one against his brother. And everyone against his neighbor, the city against city, and the kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be civil turmoil and war within Egypt. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof, and they shall seek to the idols and to the charmers and to them that have familiar spirits and to the wizards. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel lord. A fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 16 through 19 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you, give you a beautiful week. May you be filled with the power of His Holy Spirit. And may you indeed walk in love, that kind of love that comes from God, that overcomes every obstacle and barrier that is built up against it. May you truly love those that hate you and do good unto those that despitefully use you and thus truly demonstrate the traits and the qualities of the children of the kingdom. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
guess what? I just got a new book by Pastor Chuck Smith. What? Pastor Chuck doesn't write books for kids, just big people. Yeah, he does. Hey, I heard about that too. My mom told me about it. It's called The Story of Noah. And not only that, Pastor Chuck even read it to me. Pastor Chuck read you the book? Yep, and he can read it to you too. The Story of Noah is the first of four children's books Pastor Chuck has written for kids three years of age and up. It's never too early to start reading to your children timeless Bible stories filled with exciting facts and practical application for kids taught by Pastor Chuck. And as a gift, each book contains an audio CD of Pastor Chuck actually reading the story of Noah so your kids can read along. To order your copy, call the word for today at 800-272-WORD or to see a sneak preview of the story of Noah, also now available as an iBook digital download, you can visit us online at thewordfortoday.com. Again, the number to call 1-800-272-WORD.